We continue on our 2013 theme about living by the book. We believe the Bible is our guide, and we're trying to look at a number of different topics that the Bible can guide us better in our living. Uh, We looked at a number of series already this year. Our new series is called Home Restoration by the Book. Uh, we've, like I said last week, we've talked about the Christian home in lots of different ways over the years. Uh, try to pretty well have a series about that every year. Uh, we've talked about it many different ways, but today we're talking, or this series, we're talking about it, I hope, in a little more serious way, perhaps. Uh, it's going to be straight Bible, but it's going to be pretty practical. It's going to be uh, in fact, I said last week it'd be so countercultural that uh, some of you aren't going to like it, and we'll start with that today. Some of you won't like today a bit. Uh, last week we set the direction; uh, we called it "One Home at a Time," and we started out by looking at the mess <clears throat> that America is in, the problems that we have in this society, and all of the the problems that uh, seem to magnify every day. And we looked at how we've changed over the last 50 to 60 years. We went decade by decade, and we saw that we're heading downhill pretty quickly, I think, perhaps was the lesson. And we stated that we've been looking for answers to that. We know something's wrong, but we've been looking for answers in the wrong place. Uh, We've been hoping that politicians could fix it, or new laws could fix it, or the courts could handle it. And we've been looking out there for answers to why we're going the wrong direction. And we said that the only fix is God's plan. Psalm 78 talked about one home at a time. That's God's plan. A home is this, and here's its purpose. Parents pass this on to children. Children pass it on to their children. That's God's plan. Happens one home at a time. Doesn't have much to do with society or government or anything else. Christian homes are supposed to propagate God's following, uh, one home at a time. We talked about Martin Luther quite a bit last week as an example of something, as an example of courage, actually, not of proper doctrine or anything like that. But in 1517, Martin Luther was one among many who knew something was wrong in the church. Something was horribly wrong in the church. A lot of people knew that, but Martin Luther was the one, the one in 1517, who had the courage to do something about it. And he started in his town. He went to the church building in his town, walked up to the door, and nailed on it a piece of parchment with 95 things that are wrong and need to be fixed. And he committed himself to the responsibility of trying to fix those things. That was a huge task, unbelievable task. But he said, it's got to start here, and I'm going to start it. Uh, The cost was huge. He was persecuted and uh, almost killed, and all sorts of bad things happened to him because of it. But he decided, I will start here. So that's why we talked about him. Uh, Today we're going to do step one, the first change that is needed. I said I'd give you five Today we're going to talk about I will be responsible. I will be responsible. 
And some of you are thinking, well, why would you have to talk about that? Uh, obviously, people are responsible. No, not obviously. In our culture, in our culture, who's responsible? Well, that's a pretty good symbol of it, isn't it? It's somebody else, anybody else, but not me. I just look around at our country, pick up anything in your home almost, and read the warning label on it. Who does our society think is responsible for that? Nobody is responsible for anything. The microwave packet will say, the bowl may be hot after microwaving. All right, let me think about this. I'm going to put something in a machine that makes things hot, and what comes out might be hot. Okay, you got to tell somebody that, because otherwise they can say, I didn't know that, and sue you. Nobody's responsible for anything. A machete comes with a warning on one of them that says, this tool will cut. That's the way this society works. That's the way we think. An aspirin bottle says on it, do not take if you are allergic to aspirin. Okay? And on and on, and some of them are a lot, lot dumber than that. But just everything assumes that nobody is responsible Listen to government public service kind of announcements on the radio. Uh, they drive me wacky. I, I hear that and I think, I paid for that? Uh, they took some of my tax money to put this on the radio all over the country and tell people. The one that's making me crazy right now is the one called Look Before You Lock. Anybody heard that? Every time, every few times a year, somebody leaves their baby in the car and goes in some store and leaves them out there in the heat and the baby gets really, really sick or dies or something. So there's a huge public service that comes on all the time. Look before you lock. Don't leave your baby in the car. And the message is, it can happen to anybody. No, it can't happen to anybody. It cannot happen to a responsible mother or father. But, but the mentality that we have is we put on the radio, well, that can happen to No, it can't. It happens to irresponsible people. It happens to irresponsible people that usually are after some more drugs or alcohol. But what do we do about it? We just tell everybody. You're not responsible. It's just, it could happen to anybody. It's an act that you just forget. You, you need to look before you lock. You know, if you've got a problem that you can't remember, if you brought your baby with you, then you've got another problem. You know, you shouldn't be driving. shouldn't have a baby, for that matter. But anyhow, that's the way we look at it. Uh in our culture, we know that. Is there anything more infuriating than a, than a congressional hearing? Does that make anybody else wacky? This is the famous one lately. as the lowest learner of the vaunted IRS. What'd she say on, on a national TV? I did nothing wrong, and I refused to talk about it. 
I did nothing wrong, but I refuse to talk about it. I will not answer any questions. I, I claim the fifth. And she had to ask her lawyer before she said that. But, I mean, if that doesn't make you crazy enough, think about what has happened since then. America has kind of said, okay. Okay. If you don't want to answer, you don't want to talk about it, I guess there's nothing we can do about it. That's where we've got, folks, on personal responsibility. Some of the <coughs> responsibility, they'll say that sometimes. You'll hear them at the start of their statement, or you'll hear this senator or that congressman or this cabinet member or whatever say, I accept full responsibility for what happened. And then, then see what comes from that. Nothing. That's just some words. They're saying, I accept full responsibility, but if they really did, they'd resign. They don't accept full responsibility. Here's a famous phrase that you hear in a lot of congressional and government kind of reports. What, what happened for this fiasco to happen in your agency, in your department, whatever? And the statement is, well, mistakes were made. Well, we know, but we're asking for who? We're asking for what so we can make sure it doesn't happen again? Well, mistakes were made. And that's all you'll get. In, in other words, nobody's responsible. Uh, it, it's so unbelievable. You can go as high up in the government as you want, and somebody can say something, and then a few months later or the next day sometimes, they'll say, I didn't say that. And somebody will show the video of them saying that, and they'll go, hmm, I didn't say that. You know, I don't need to convince you that there's no personal responsibility. Now, in the garden, we had the same problem. This is not anything new. In the garden, turn over to Genesis 3. We just read through it. And you know the first part of chapter 3. The serpent comes to the woman. He talks to her, convinces her that the food looks pretty good. Probably good tasting and probably make you wise like God and he could directly contradict something that God said and uh, Eve goes ahead and takes a bite of the fruit and then she shares it with the man who's evidently standing right there watching all of this and after this happens they realize we're responsible uh, that thought kind of comes to them and they realize we're naked because now they're not innocent anymore like they were and then they go hide. Okay, and that's where the story started that we read. God came to the garden like he did every day. And they were hiding from him. In verse 9, but the Lord God called to the man, where are you? You think God knew where he was? Yeah, God knew exactly where he was. But he wants an answer from man. So he says, where are you? And... The man got enough sense to answer at least. He said, well, I heard you coming in the garden. I, I, I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Then God asked this question. Who, who told you that you were naked? 
have you eaten from the tree? You think God knew if he'd eaten from the tree or not? He knew. He wanted an answer from man. And so what's the man's answer? The woman. The woman did it. In fact, you're kind of responsible. You gave me the woman. Yeah, the, the woman who you put here with me, she gave me some fruit. Well, I ate it. So God turns his attention to the woman. What, what have you done? Why did you do such a thing? What's her answer? Serpent. Serpent gave it to me. Serpent told me it was all right. He deceived me. I believed him. So I ate. Okay. What's this whole story? No personal responsibility. I didn't. And you read the rest of the Bible, and you find out that even though Eve was first, who really got in trouble for it? And who did the apostles talk about as the one whose fault it was? Adam. Why? Because it was his responsibility. The woman was given him to him, and he was to care for her and keep her spiritually right. And he left that responsibility. He didn't accept it. He let her go deal with Satan. He didn't protect her from that. So he, was, he gave up his responsibility. Of course, Eve was responsible to a degree too. God punished them both. We've been punished ever since because of it. But the problem was neither of them had this nailed on the door. I will be responsible. How do we define responsible? Well, I think we get a key there in Genesis 3. What did God do? He asked questions. He said, respond to this. Where are you? Respond to this. What did you do? Respond to this. Why did you eat that? What was he expecting? When God asks a question, he wants an answer. He was expecting an answer to be responsible, is to be answerable for it. They didn't answer. They, they passed it off to somebody else. The right answer is, I was responsible. I messed up. I didn't take my responsibility seriously. I think that's a great synonym, one of the many synonyms for responsible is being answerable. When something goes wrong and I ask what happened, who's responsible? Who's going to answer that question? Some other synonyms are accountable, liable, trustworthy means you're responsible. If you're a caretaker, you're responsible. If you're obligated, if you're responsible for something, if you're given a responsibility, that's your obligation to handle it. All those give us a little different flavor of what responsible it is. Okay. Now, from Adam and Eve's example and from Webster's and all that, we kind of know what it means. 
Now, I said I was going to give you five promises to nail to your door this series. Here's the first promise, our first promise. It's, I will be responsible. Seems simple, doesn't it? Seems kind of so silly that we shouldn't even have to talk about it, but it is profound. It is, the, the reason I put it first is because you've got to have this one before the other four make any sense. Somebody's got to be responsible. And what we're going to nail on the door is, I am responsible. Not politicians, not the Supreme Court, not the preacher, not the youth minister, not the school teacher, not the policeman. None of those are responsible for what happens in my home. The answer is not out there. It's in here. In fact, it is exactly here. You draw an X where you're standing, that's where the responsibility is. I will be responsible. Deuteronomy 6. We look at that quite often when we're talking about parenting. Let's look at it just briefly, verse 5 through 7. Deuteronomy 6, I'll read it to you. Uh, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. What was he saying to the Israelites, to the, to the households, to the parents, to the, the patriarch of the family to begin with? As I've told you all these things, and they are to be on your hearts. Now, that doesn't just mean you think about them all the time. That phrase, be on your hearts, actually means... That you are to be burdened by. That you are to carry that heavy load. Now, that doesn't mean it's depressing that you go around and thinking, oh, God's laws are so hard and all. It means that you accept that as a responsibility. These are to be on your heart. You realize that you are responsible for this. You realize, I own this. What's God's plan for the home working right, for society working right, for his kingdom working right, for the church working right? What's his plan? In one home at a time, somebody's responsible. We'll talk about who later, but somebody's responsible. And they carry that load there. They have that burden. They understand it's on me. As I drove out of the driveway this morning, I saw an example of this. I looked at my lawn. My lawn looks really bad right now. It should have been mowed four days ago probably. It's raggedy. But I've been gone for three or four days. And I had a little time yesterday, but I didn't feel like doing it, so I didn't do it. And as I drove out this morning and looked at that lawn and how raggedy it was, I said, Cindy, what would you let happen to the lawn? (laughs) No, I didn't. I didn't even think of asking that. And I know in some of your houses, that might work. (laughs) But in my house, I am responsible for the lawn. I didn't go ask the neighbor. They say, didn't you see this? It's kind of trashing up the neighborhood. Why didn't you come take care of it? 
Because it's not his responsibility. I know it's my responsibility. I have that burden. Okay. I realize that's pretty trivial compared to a home <laughs> and all that. But that's the principle. Is I will be responsible for this. All right. Now let's talk about who and what. Uh, I didn't put all this up there because it, we're just going to brush over it so quick. Um, you're not going to like some of this, but it's what the Bible says. And as far as the what, we'll talk about that a lot more in the next four. But we've got to establish responsibility today. Okay, who's responsible? Now, we're talking about home. We're not talking about who your boss is at work or who the principal is at school or who the elders are at church or anything else. All that may apply to your role somewhere. But we're talking about a home. If you are single, living on your own, nobody else in your household, this is easy. Who's responsible? You got it. Okay? You are responsible for what goes in your, on in your home. For what happens there, for what's on TV, for what gets read, for, for what happens. You, very easy answer. If you're a couple, if you're married, got a husband and wife, it becomes a shared responsibility. I realize God draws a little distinction there, that man has the headship in the house, so he makes the final call on things that are tough and hard to decide and all that, but it's a shared responsibility, and we've talked about couples enough, in fact, we're going to talk about them the next couple of weeks. We're going to talk about the covenant of marriage, and then we're going to talk about roles in the family, so we'll learn a lot more. But it's a shared responsibility. So the closer you get together to becoming the one that God talks about, the more clear it becomes that I, although it looks like a we, it's an I, we're responsible. You've got to do things a little bit differently because it's shared. You've got to agree on things. You've got to talk about things more. But that's who's responsible. Now, when that couple has children, guess what? Who's responsible? Same couple. Same couple. Children don't get a vote for a long time. Yeah? Doesn't mean you can't listen to them. Doesn't mean you don't try to train them. That's your responsibility. All of that. But the couple is responsible for what happens. You can't blame the kids at school. You can't blame what's on TV. You can't blame the crummy society that we live in. You are responsible for what happens in your home. Now, as children get older, when they get to a certain age, up in the teens somewhere, they get to accepting more and more responsibility. And you start giving them some. And they start having some responsibility for making some of their own decisions. And that's the couple's responsibility to decide how soon that happens and when it happens and all of that. But as long as the child is still in the home, the parents are the ones that are responsible. Now, you may think I've covered it all. No, there's other situations. There are divided families where, where somebody who was a couple, a man and a wife, have split apart. They're not together anymore. They have children. Who's responsible? They had the child. They're responsible. 
Okay? Makes it harder. That's why it's not God's first plan. It makes it real hard. But if you're the mother or father of a child and you're not living together, you are still responsible for that child somehow. And that is hard. You've you got to deal with the ex. And because it's your responsibility to raise up that child in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord and not frustrate him, you've got to work real hard at respecting your ex-spouse. Some of you say, whoa, that's really hard. It's your responsibility. It's for the good of the child. You accepted that responsibility when you had offspring. So whatever the situation is, somebody has got to stand on that X and say, I'm responsible. It's going to be harder in some situations. That couple doesn't get along. If those two divided couple doesn't get along, there's all sorts of problems. I know, but we still got to, somebody's got to say, I, I believe responsible. If not, we just keep going down the road to destruction. Okay. Who's responsible? We, we've talked about that. What are you responsible for? The short answer is everything God says you're supposed to do in the home. Bill just read Ephesians 6, 1 through 4 to us. That's a passage that tells you, here's what parents are responsible for. If you have kids, you're responsible for that. If you have kids and you're all alone. The husband has gone away or he was never there. Then you've got full responsibility to do Ephesians 6, 1 and 4. Is it harder? Oh, it's a lot harder. That's why it wasn't God's first plan. But it's still your responsibility. Everything we've talked about over the last however many years we've been talking, we've had series on finance. That's your responsibility in your house to be good stewards. If you're single, that's your responsibility to be a good steward. Give to the Lord. Give as you've been blessed. All, well, all this, everything we've ever talked about. This fits. Disciplining your children. Loving your wife. Respecting your husband. All those things we've been through. However God tells you what's supposed to happen in the home, that's what you're responsible for. If you've got children in your home... Your children are supposed to be trained in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. They are not supposed to be frustrated. They are not supposed to be dominated or so criticized that they, they can't deal with it. That's your responsibility. Not mine, not the youth ministers, not the school teacher, not the TV. If you choose to marry someone that is not raised in a functional, nurturing, good family, or not raised in the nurture and the admission of the Lord, then you have an added task. You've got to help teach that mate about what we're talking about here. Is that harder? Yes. Why it's not God's first plan. 
But if that's what you choose to do, then you still got the responsibility. You got to bring them into that understanding of God's plan is the best. They may know nothing about God's plan. They may have come out of a family that's so dysfunctional that they don't know any plan. If you're a Christian, that's your responsibility. Now, let's apply this. Step number two to applying what we've talked about is to truly accept responsibility. Does that shock anybody? (laughs) I mean, I didn't know how else to say it. I tried to think of something kind of cute, but that's all you can say. Is, Is how do we apply this principle of I will be responsible? Well, accept responsibility. Now, hopefully you know a little bit more about what responsibility is. You're going to learn a whole lot more about what you're responsible for in the four weeks coming up. But accept responsibility. Never point somewhere else. When somebody asks, and it may not be a human asking. It may be me or a Sunday school teacher or you in your daily reading, reading a verse And God asks you through that verse, why'd you do that? Where are you? How close are you to my will? You give an answer. You are responsible. I will accept responsibility. If it says fathers are supposed to do this, I better give an answer. If it says husbands are supposed to do this, I better give an answer. Truly accept responsibility. Don't use any of those phrases. Well, mistakes were made somewhere, somehow. Well, it was, you know, their fault. They they talked me into it. And we hear that from parents. We say, I I couldn't make my kid do that. You know, they wouldn't put up with that. Excuse me? Whose responsibility is it? That's step number two. Some of you are saying, hold it, what happened to step number one? Step number one, if it's needed, is to repent. Okay? There are some households, the things that we're talking about and the things we're going to talk about in the next four weeks, things are out of whack. Things aren't right on line with what God wants. And to step up and say, all right, I'll accept responsibility for that. From now on, may not be enough. It may not work. Things may be in such a state that before you can head down the right path, you got to really change your mind about why you're on the wrong path. That's what repentance is. Is becoming convinced that what I've been doing is not right and what I'm going to do is right. I am sorry I haven't been doing it right. And I'm going to repent of that and start doing what is right. If during this sermon or the next four that we have about this, God's Spirit begins to convict you of something that you know you're responsible for, that you've been compromising, then step one is to repent. If you've been lying to someone, your spouse or your kids about anything, then you need to repent. 
If you're single and you are morally compromised in any relationship, you need to repent. If you're being deceptive in your family about the finances or not following good stewardship principles and not sharing that information with your spouse, perhaps you need to repent. If you're failing as a husband to lead your wife spiritually, you need to repent. If you as a wife have failed to support your husband and and nurture your children, you need to repent. If you've been lazy around the house, not helping your spouse with housework and the other things that are shared responsibilities, you need to repent. If you're not taking care of your spouse's needs for spiritual intimacy, emotional intimacy, you need to repent. If you're withholding sexual intimacy from your partner, you need to repent. If you're failing to provide for your family, you need to repent. The point is, what's God saying to you? As you go through this book or as you hear sermons about the responsibilities in the home, if he's asking, where are you on this? Why are you doing what you're doing? You need to answer. You are answerable. If you don't come clean, if you don't answer, if you don't say, I understand now it's my responsibility, and I hadn't been doing it, and I'm sorry, and I'm going to change. If you don't do that first, then you can't just sit here and say, well, I'll accept responsibility from now on. Repentance may be the necessary first step. All right, next week, we're going to talk about that we will restore The covenant. We're going to talk about the covenant of marriage. Get fairly serious about what God intended when a man marries a woman. One more story before we stop our thinking about being responsible. I told you this story before. Oliver DeVink. Some of you may remember his name. Oliver DeVink was three months old in his mother's womb when his mother had an accident. He lived in New York City, and Jose, the father, had already left for work, and the mother was three months pregnant, and uh, there was a gas leak in the room, in the house. Kitchen stove began to leak gas. Catherine was still asleep in bed, and she lost consciousness. She fell out of bed, and Oliver's father, Jose, had already left for work, but he forgot something, luckily. And when he got to the bus station, he remembered it, and he went back home to get it. And as soon as he walked in the door, he smelled the gas. He knew something was wrong. He found his wife unconscious. He dragged her outside into the fresh air and revived her pretty quickly. And six months later, Oliver was born. Seemed to be a perfectly fine, healthy baby. One time Catherine was playing with little Oliver when he was about three months old. She had him over by the window and she was holding him in the warmth of the sun. And she noticed that Oliver was staring directly at the sun. He wasn't blinking. 
So Jose and Catherine took him to the doctor, and the doctor examined him and said he was blind. He had never seen. They also told Catherine and Jose that he'd never be able to hold up his head, never be able to crawl, never be able to walk, would never speak, would never hold anything in his hands. He said the gas had caused severe brain damage while he was in the womb. And they went on to recommend that the only thing they saw possible to do, and the best thing, would be put Oliver in an institution where somebody could take care of him. His father, Jose, said, he is our son. We will take Oliver home. The father said, well, okay, then take him home and love him. And they did for 33 years. Oliver never got bigger than a 10-year-old. He had a large head and small body and twisted legs. For 33 years, his family fed him three times a day, bathed him, changed him, did everything. His younger brother, Christopher, wrote after Oliver died, he said, Oliver was one of the weakest, most helpless human beings you would ever meet. Christopher also said, I asked my dad one day, how did you manage to care for Oliver for 33 years? Jose's answer was, it wasn't 33 years. I just asked myself, can I feed Oliver today? The answer was always yes. That, brothers and sisters, is accepting responsibility when it's really, 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 really hard. I don't have an Oliver. Very few of you have an Oliver-sized problem or responsibility. But everybody in here has a home that's their responsibility. They have a wife that needs love, and that's your responsibility. They have a husband that needs respect, and that's your responsibility. They have a child or children that need to be trained in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That's your responsibility. What I'm asking you to do this morning is to nail to the door this statement. I will take them home, and I will be responsible. If you need to repent first... We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to come along beside you and help you as we begin being responsible. If you need to come, let's stand. Stand and sing.